Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Good morning, everyone. How's it going? You guys excited to be here? I am. Let's give God a hand. All right, let's just say, let's get excited, right? We're in the house of God. Let's get excited. Amen. Well, as you may have noticed, I'm not Pastor Matt, and... Uh, I know, he's way more attractive than me. Sorry, you're stuck with me this morning. So they are actually gone. Uh, we had the privilege, my wife and I had the privilege of spending um, a couple of days in Florida with the apprentices and the pastors at a, at a conference. It was, uh, it was great, it was relaxing, and they decided to take some time and go uh, see their grandkids. So like I said, you're stuck with me this morning, but I'm going to do my best, okay? So <clears throat> before we jump into the Word, um, can you give me just a little, so I can keep it like this? Um, before we jump into the word, what I want to do is I want to put my shameless plug in for Awakening 715. Have you, have you ever, if you've been to one, raise your hand. There's, okay, so that's half the people in here. The other half of you, listen, God, God's got something for you. And I just want to say, if you've never been to one, you need to be there. Yeah, it, it is kind of shocking. Yeah, you've got to get over the initial, well, is this guy going to take a breath while he preaches? No, he's not. I'm just going to take that away. No, he's not. So you need to come. It'll change your life. And, and for those of you that are like, you know what? I just, I don't, go, I don't do the altar. I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't get all hyped. But that, that's okay. Neither do I. I come here, but I always get blessed every time. Every time I come here. So I just want to encourage you to be here for that. You know, it'll, it'll change your life. So how many of you were here, by show of hands, were for Gary McIntosh's sermon a couple weeks ago? Isn't that good? That was really powerful, you know? So I want to spin off of that a little bit this morning. Um, we're continuing our, se- our, our series, Rise and Fall. But one of the things that he said uh, that was really, I think, impactful, and it's really prophetic of where we're at as the body of Christ, is he said that he believes that the, the younger generation, it's time for them to kind of move into a place and begin to learn how to do church and to learn to speak and to learn to be here. Now, I, I fully embrace that. I am thankful for that. I'm excited for that. But in the same spirit of what he was saying, I want to add on to it if I can. You see... I didn't, I, I've not been at this church for 35 years. I'm standing on a platform today that I did not build. And I'm speaking to a congregation that I have not pastored. See, in order for my generation to come into all that God has for them, there is an extreme amount of humility that we're going to have to learn. You see, and the, the generation that have been there, done that before, that's a characteristic that defines you. And we've, that is the characteristic in Philippians 2, we'll talk about a little bit, that defines how Christ said we are to have our relationships, it's humility. Humility is the defining characteristic. Satan came in pride. Jesus came in humility. Humility is the thing, and it is a requirement. And I'm going to say this, and it may seem a bit um, aggressive, but it is a non-negotiable with God. Humility is required in order to realize the promises of God and to move forward in spiritual advancement. Humility is required. So I want to share with you a dream I had this dream a couple of years ago, and I didn't quite realize the impact of it until the last uh, it's probably six months as everything has begun to unfold. I was, uh, in this dream, I can remember standing before this garden, and it was the most um, beautiful, lush, green garden that I had seen. And it was, it was re- the thing that defined it is it was ready for a harvest, right? It was the harvest season, and it was gr- lush, right? It was ready. It was full. But in front of this garden... There was one of those massive man-eating snakes, those, those python snakes, right? Those, 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 those nasty ones. You ever see on National Geographic one of those snakes like, ah, 
rawr, and they like eat those deer, you know, and the, the deer's got, the deer's like sitting in the middle of the snake for like six years, and he doesn't eat for six years. So that was the snake, right? So he's, he, so the snake is sitting in front of the garden. And so <clears throat> I knew, I recognized the garden immediately because it was one that my dad spent every day of his life in for 10 years out cultivating. Every day he'd go out to this garden, and it was his, but it was more beautiful than I'd ever seen it. And the snake, when I woke up in the, in the morning as I woke up, and I was praying about it and talking and conversing with another brother in Christ about it, I recognized two, two things. One, in the dream, I knew what the snake's name was. I knew what it was. Its name was Pride. I knew that's what that snake was intrinsically, and I knew that was my dad's garden. So as I was talking to my brother about this, I realized two things. One, the harvest is ready, okay? But in order to get into that garden and step into the things that the fathers, that our fathers have prepared for us, we've got to do something. We've got to step over our pride. If you step on it, if you choose to stand on your pride, you're going to be devoured. But if you step over it, you can walk into the things that God has for you. You see, there's, so, so listen to me, generation, those of you that are under 35, we'll use the number Gary did, it is going to require an extreme amount of humility. It is something that is learned. This isn't a race. We're going to have to let the Holy Spirit teach us day by day how to walk in it. Okay? Humility, it's, it's a non-negotiable. It's got to happen. If you choose to walk out in pride, if you choose to stand on your pride, it will devour you, and it will keep you out of the garden. It will keep you out of your inheritance. Now, the other thing to remember is, is that that garden, and what, what, what humbled me so much about this, and as I, I told this dream to my dad, actually, and I can remember crying my eyes out telling him, I said, I walked into that garden and I realized something, that I was, I was taking something and enjoying something that I didn't work to get. It wasn't something I strived for. The generation before me strived for me. They put in the time. They put in the work. They were on their knees. They, see, I didn't, I didn't spend 35 years here doing the things that Pastor Matt and Deb are doing. So it, it needs to be said right, that... You know, yeah, there are, there are young speakers that come, and, that, you know, yeah, and we're, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to learn, okay? Amen. So, okay, so let's jump into the Word here. So we're keeping that in mind. So I want to just start out with Philippians 2, and I'm, we're not going to go there, but you can, it's Philippians 2, um, 5 through 9, where, where Jesus describes the essential characteristic. One of, one of, one of, the, one of the things he says is he says, um, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's basically saying, hey, the very, very thing I want you to govern your relationships with is the attitude that was in me, is it, that was in Christ, who, being in the form of, man, form of God or equal with God, didn't count equality with God to be something to be grasped or held on to. In other words, he's, he is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is, he is everywhere. He, Jesus is God, and he didn't count that something to be held on to, but he humbled himself to the point of, of death on a cross, becoming a man, and becoming obedient to death on a cross. See, that's the attitude that we are supposed to have, whether it's in church, church, whether it's um, at home with your wife. Let me just tell you something. Let me just tell you something. I've got to go on a tangent here about this real quick. The reason there's no peace in a lot of your homes is because there's pride. There's no peace in your home. And husbands, let me just tell you something. I don't have this one cornered, and my wife is going to get the podcast and play this back to me six or seven times, all right? But let me just tell you something. The reason that there's no peace in your home is because, husbands, you're acting in pride towards your wife. You see, the Bible says to love her like Christ loved the church. 
And you see, in marriage, somebody's feelings are going to get hurt. Husband, it needs to be you, and you need to be the one big enough to say, you know what, I'm going to embrace this time to lead my wife through this. You know, you can, you, can, you can get as frustrated as you wanted her, but in 30 years, I'm going to tell you, you're going to make no progress, and then you're going to go to counseling and wonder why you didn't get this 30 years ago. Just be humble. That's it. That'll solve all your marriage problems. Just be humble. You've got to act in humility. Humility is the defining. It has to be done. So, you know, I've only been married seven years, and let me just tell you something. There's a lot, my wife is kind enough to remind me constantly that there's lots of pride that's got to get worked out yet, you know? But if it's not happening in the home, if we're not practicing these things in the home, we don't have a chance of really ushering in the next move of God because our homes are broken and our lives are broken at home. We have to be experiencing, you know what revival is? Revival is just a fresh revelation with Jesus every morning. That's all that it is. You see, we think that revival needs to be some big mystery. Well, let me just tell you something. You won't, you won't learn to walk in the revival of God in the church if you're not walking in it in your home. And it doesn't need to be spooky or weird. It just needs to be real. Okay, so let's keep going. So, okay, so, so give me Matthew 23, 11, and 12. So Matthew 23 says, what do you got here? The greatest among you will be your servant. Okay, this is God's principle. This is his, right? So this is his way. That is the exact opposite of what the world will tell us, right? You want to get ahead? You just need to get ahead, right? You need to step on everybody to the top. Nope. Jesus says, you want to be the greatest, you need to learn to be the servant. Okay, give me verse 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Okay, so this is a two-part scripture. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, okay? Who humbles themselves will be exalted, so here's, the, here's God's principle, okay, and it's not humility. Humility functions in an action and an attitude. So it's, it's important to differentiate between humility and the principle of humility. So God's, God's principle works like this. You want to you wanna get ahead, you want to you wanna move up, you have to become humble. You, humble. you exalt yourselves, and you're going to be brought low. So let me just tell you in the first part, okay, those who exalt themselves... Who does the action in that part? I'm exalting myself. I did the action, right? I exalted myself. Who does the second part of it? Right. Right. Okay. So now let's go to the second part. Let's do this. Those who humble themselves, who does that part? We do. Right? And both steps, in both in God's principle, it all starts with you. God does the second part. Are you with me? Let me just, and I need to, you need to, it's important to differentiate between what a principle is and what a promise is. You see, a principle works whether you know about it or not, whether you believe in it or not. You see, I'll explain it like this, okay? Let me just tell you, what if, what if I tipped you and said, hey, you know what? I just want to skydive. It's just the most important thing to me in the whole world. I just got to do it. And you'd, you'd say, well, well, then just go do it, right? Okay, and what if I told you, I said, but listen, I just, I just so afraid that once I jump out of that plane, that I'm just going to throw it away right into the sky. You'd probably look at me and go, yeah, you probably shouldn't go skydiving. That's not, find some other thing to fulfill your life, right? No, so, no, you'd, you'd probably say something like, just get up to the plane and jump off. Gravity will take care of the rest. That's exactly how these principles work. You see, you, you, you can get up, you got to get up to the plane and jump off. God will take care of the rest. When you choose to humble yourself before God, 
He exalts you. And here's the other thing you need to realize, especially when it comes to, because we've got this warped view of prosperity here in America, and we've got this warped view of what humility really is. You know what he doesn't say up there? Exaltation is bad. That's what he doesn't say. In fact, Jesus has been exalted. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high with all the splendor, all the glory, constantly in a state of being worshipped. That's where Jesus is at. See, exaltation is actually a godly desire. It's how you get there that's important. God cares about how you get there. Somebody say, God cares. God cares. All right, we got to keep cracking here. Okay, so we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to see how these principles played out, okay, in the Old Testament. See, the Old Testament, I love the Old Testament. It is a type and a foreshadow of things to come. And the reason I, lo- I want to go back and talk about it is because this was God's principle happening before he said this. Jesus said that, right? But it played out thousands of years before, all right? And it still plays out today, okay? So we're going to go to the book of Daniel, and there is so much here. We could stop and talk a lot, but I'm gonna, we're going to, as much as we can, uh, get through this expeditiously. Okay, Daniel. So let me, let me set this up before we just start reading the scriptures here. Okay, so at this point, okay, Daniel has come out. Uh, he's been taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. They, they went into what's called the 70-year captivity period. So as a youth, he was taken from Israel. Chapter 1 in Daniel talks about how he began, he found favor in the eyes of the, 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 the king's servant. The king's servant brings him in as a wise man, and he's been trained. He's being trained. They tried to turn him into a proselyte, right? So they tried to turn him into like a, a student of, of, uh, of, of pagan gods, but he wouldn't have it, any of it. He said, nope, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick true to the principles that God, that I learned from my youth. So he comes, he does that, sticks to his guns, he finds favor, okay? And he's a wise man at this point. He stands before the king, and the king says that he was the wisest. Him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the wisest among all of the king's council. So he brought him into his personal council, right? So then, at this part in the story, we're going to pick it up. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to call him Nebi for short, maybe Nebulator. So we'll, well, yeah, we're going to have to shorten that up for sure. So anyway, so at this point, the king comes, and he says, hey, listen, I had a really bad dream. I'm freaked out. Bring before me all the wise men, all the magicians, all the conjurers, all the sorcerers. I want them before me, and they got to tell me what my dream is. So then not only does he say, I want to know what my dream was because he forgot it, he wants them to tell him what it meant. So all the wise men are all freaked out. They're like, hey, listen, in no, I mean, think about that for a second, right? Imagine, Imagine my wife came to me and said, hey, I had this dream. And I need you to tell me what it was. What? I can't do that. Like, that's impossible, right? Even by today's standards, that's a ridiculous request, right? But this king, he says, I want you to tell, I want you to tell me what I dreamt and what it meant. And so obviously, these magicians and everybody's like, no, we can't do that. That's impossible. And so the king says, you know what? That's fine. I'll just kill you all. So then he just puts out this decree, and he decides to kill all these people. Now, we don't know. I mean, I'm sure I could go do some research and find out exactly how many people that was, but I'm sure in the king's service that was several hundred people that he just sentenced a death decree on. So then the decree gets to Daniel, and Daniel has the wisdom to pray for time. So he goes and says, okay, king, give me three days, and I'll tell you what you dreamed and what it means. You guys with me? All right. I'm going to pick this up in verse 26. The king said to Daniel, whose name was also Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? 
Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men. So watch what he does here, okay? This is important, okay? Yeah, just watch what he does. Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, see, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and is made known to the nebulator what will take place in the later days. This was your dream and visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what will take place in the future. So he's basically saying, hey, king, listen, God told me what your dream was, and it's, it's the future. Like, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the future, right? But as for me, okay, this is verse 30, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts in your mind. So, okay, so let's back up and play this out here for a second, okay? Put yourself in Daniel's shoes, all right? You're, you're just another dude in the kingdom. You've been taken out of captivity. You're chilling in the palace. All of a sudden, there's a death decree over all of your buddies. Everyone is going to die, right? All, and, you're, and, and you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to pray and ask God. So then you pray. God speaks to you. All right. He gives you the answer. Gives you the answer. You know, you know what I would have been tempted to do? I would have, okay, just, ima- just imagine the wise men going for rolling up to the King Nebuchadnezzar and his, his throne thing he's got going on. Wise men on this side, wise men on that side. I probably would have slaunted on up. Like, I got this. You know? <laughs> And then I would have been like, I want 50 bucks from each of you. You know? Like, no, he doesn't do that. No, what does he do? The first thing he does is he gives glory to God. He says, no, see, there's a God in heaven who revealed this mystery to me. He doesn't, you know what he does? He doesn't even bargain with Nebuchadnezzar. All right? Even, he doesn't do that. Thousands of, hundreds of people's lives are at stake. Right? And you know what he does? He just says, no, there's a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. So first he gives glory to God. Because the impossible has been done. And then secondly, he diminishes himself and says, it's not because of me. There wasn't anything great or special about me. I was just obedient. All I did was ask God. That's it. So then what happened? So let's find out what happened. It says, then King Nebuchadnezzar, okay, so then Daniel gives him the interpretation, right? And it was indeed an interpretation of the future. Verse 46 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering, fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Okay, so it's important to understand that when Daniel gave glory to God, the highest authority, the most powerful man on the earth at the time, Gave glory to God. It says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon, a chief and to protect the wise men of Babylon. So what did Daniel do? It's the Matthew 23 principle. He humbled himself before God. And what, did, what happened to him almost instantaneously? He was exalted. You see, God put him... God put him at the second in command. There was no, it was, there was, 
Nabi and Daniel. That's where it was. That's where, that's where humility is. God wants, let me just tell you something. God's heart for you is to be exalted. He wants you to be exalted. He wants you to be risen to a high estate. How you get there is important. How you get there is important. Okay, so let's fast forward. Okay, so we see, we see the first part of this principle working out in Daniel's life, right? So he humbles himself. God exalts him. Let's fast forward and see how the, Neb- the Nebster fares. Not so good. So one, one thing that's important, chronologically, you've got to understand this. Okay, so we're just in chapter 2 right now. So then in chapter 3, I'm, you guys familiar with the fiery furnace, right? Yep. So for those of you that are not, real quick, so he go, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego end up getting chucked in this furnace because they won't worship the king. They only said they were only going to worship God. God shows up, saves them. It was awesome. It was awesome. And, and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in that story said again, your God is the God of gods. So twice now, so we get to chapter 4, twice now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's somebody that we would say doesn't have an excuse. He has seen the impossible done by the God of gods, right? So he knows better. He knows better. You guys following me? Okay, chapter 4, verse 4 says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions I kept in my mind kept alarming me. So here we go again. This is playing out again, right? So it's the same thing. So he's getting freaked out again because he had a dream. So here's, here's, here's an indicator of pride, okay? When... You're getting in the mid- middle of something that is familiar to you, and you don't go where you know you should go because you've been here before, is pride. I'll show you that. Hold on. I'm getting ahead of myself. Somebody say, slow down. Thank you. I will. He said, I kept in my mind alarming, so I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners came in, and I related to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Let me tell you something. He, he already knew they couldn't do it. He, he did just a chapter ago. He tried getting them to do it, and they couldn't do it. So why did he ask them to come back in and do it again? He knew they couldn't do it. See, I wonder if he didn't invite Daniel in to get the right answer the first time because he didn't want to hear what he had to say. See, how many of you know the right place to go to, but you don't go there because you don't want to hear what they have to say? You know the right answer. You know you shouldn't be doing that, and you know the right person to go to to get the answer, but you don't really want to know. When I was growing up, I, I, had, I had have this father that had this annoying habit, I thought it was annoying, of asking me, did you pray about that? Did you pray about that? Dad, I want to go hang out with Billy down the street. Did you pray about that? Dad, I want to buy this car. Did you pray about that? Dad, I want to marry someone. Did you pray about that? I want to eat a popsicle. Did you pray? But no, I'm kidding. So, so I can, but I can remember this. So he loves me. He was just trying to get me to understand the right person to go to, right? He said, you know, he wanted to direct me and make sure I was asking the right questions to the right person. So listen, I can remember this time when I was asking him. I, I, we were talking about something. It was some concert or something. I don't remember exactly the, the circumstances. But he said to me, he said, son, did you pray about that? And I said, no. And he said, well, why not? And I said, because I didn't want God to tell me no. 
And with that, it revealed what was sitting inside my heart. You see, most of us, we know exactly where to go. We know exactly who to ask. We know the right thing to do. And we just don't want to hear God say no. You know, maybe we should just be thankful and grateful that God even talks to us. You know, maybe, maybe you, know, you know, like, oh, hey, you know what? The sovereign God of the universe just told me I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should be thankful. Wow. You know, it's pride. It's pride. Let me, and let me just say something. Pride got Satan kicked out of heaven. There is, and, and I'm open to correction on this, and so all you Bible scholars out there, if you want to come and say, no, I know, I'll, I'll hear it, and when I'm up here next, I'll say I was wrong. But to my knowledge, there is not one other sin that God says is in a person that he actively resists that person other than pride. When you have pride in your life, he says, I actively resist you. God hates it. And I say that with absolute assurity. The scripture backs that up. God hates pride. He absolutely hates it. And it will keep you from fulfilling, fulfilling the call of God on your life. We have got to learn to walk in absolute. See, the time is coming on this earth, okay? And the time is coming, and I don't think it's that very far away, when we're going to see one of the greatest moves of God ever come, hap- come across, okay? And you're either going to be prepared for it, and your attitude and your actions are going to be ready, addressed in a position of humility, ready to receive and serve. Because what did he say? I did not come to get served, but to serve. Right? We are here to serve. Can I just tell, let me just tell you something real quick? Okay, I got out of time. Okay. So the, the, one of the, when I get that little planning center invite, you know, depending on, you know, who it's from, Sometimes I get excited, and I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm sure Tim needs me to, you know, you know I'm sure he needs me to, you know, be the, be the big tough guy in the back or something like that. And it's like, oh, I got to do the parking lot thing, <laughs> you know. Or I'll get the, I'll get the invite from Jeff, and it'll, I'm sure Jeff needs me to lead worship this weekend. I'm sure that's what he needs. Oh, okay, I got to help with the kids, you know. Let me just tell you something. God wants you to serve, okay? And the idea, the idea is that you need to serve where God has put you, and it takes faith to do that, okay? I, I, you you, you got to realize is that, is that where you are at right, is exactly where God has you. React in humility, right? React in humility, and then God will lift you up wherever you're at and whatever you're doing, you know? And maybe, and let me just tell you this, maybe you're not, like, leading worship or speaking because you're just not ready yet. Okay, and you know what? Maybe the subjecting yourself to where God has you, right, is the very thing He's going to use to elevate you to the position, okay, that will bring forth the promise of God in your life. Stop trying to fast forward to the to the to the good part. See, we 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 got to realize is that pride. Okay, if you're wondering if you have it, let me just tell you, you have it. Okay. And you need, to, you need to learn, it's, it's, it's line upon line, right? It's precept upon precept. It's just one at a time, step upon step. We have to align our actions and our attitudes with God's word, and he said he'd take care of the rest. When you realize is that you just got to get up to the plane and jump off, okay? You don't need to worry about, so, so when, so when uh, I get the invite to do the kids, you know, I'm like, what? I can't do that. Don't they know who I am? 
I can't be back there doing that. See, you know, they, all those feelings inside, they may be rolling around inside. And, and am I the only one who does that? I guess so. But let me just say something. All those feelings may be running around inside, but it doesn't matter because my actions and my attitude line up with God's word, and he's going to take care of all that inside. That'll go away and line up with the character of Christ as I begin to walk. You see, a lot of feelings, we just learn to trust our feelings too much. Stop trusting your feelings. You know what I'm saying? Just start doing the things. A lot of us aren't even doing what, like, I, I got... <clears throat> we got to start doing the things that we know are right. You know, we're like, well, when I feel like it, you're ne- newsflash, you're never going to feel like it. You're never going to feel humble. You're never going to feel like it. You're never going to feel bold enough. Just go talk to somebody about the word. Okay, you're never going to feel like you have enough energy, especially, let me just tell you something. I, and I say this respectfully so much, but if you don't have kids, if you have kids, you're never going to have enough energy, okay? You're just never going to have it, okay? So, do the thing, and you, I forget who said it, it was some, you know, some smart, wise guy said this, do the thing, and you shall have the power, I believe that is so from the heart of God, just do it, right, do the thing, okay, somebody say, come back, come back, come back, okay, okay, well, I don't know how we got there, okay, verse 8, but finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, no mystery baffles you. Tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen, along with his interpretation. So he reveals his heart again. He knew that Daniel knew, right? He knew that it was the right way. And I want to just pull out one free side note. This was in my notes, so I'm not going off on another rabbit hole here. Daniel's name means only God can judge me. Belteshazzar means Bel will protect me. Bel was a pagan god of the Babylonians. When God calls you out of the world, they're always going to try and rename you. They're always going to try and rename you. See, the name that God gives you is so important. You see, they kept trying to call him Belteshazzar. Throughout the entire book, it never sticks. The entire book, it never sticks. He sticks true to who he is. He sticks true to the Lord, and it doesn't stick. The king says, Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. You see, even the king started calling him by his name. Okay, so, so Daniel comes in. King tells him his dream, right? And so the dream is pretty rough, right? It's this dream that basically, I'm, I'm not going to get into all the details, but basically the dream is not so good for the Nebster. He says, basically, the Nebster has exalted himself. He says, I'm awesome. And God says, I'm going to bring you down. And I am going to, for a period, the Bible says, seven periods. Now, a season in that day and age was, uh, so a year was two periods. So it was, so the Bible, the Bible was saying three and a half years. So for three and a half years, I'm going to put you down. And I'm going to make, make you insane, King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to make you insane. Your hair is going to grow long. And the Bible says that his claws grew like bird claws because of how prideful this man was. And so Daniel says, so let's pick this up in verse 25. It says that you, Daniel says this. It says, King, you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. And you will be given grass to eat like cattle and drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize, listen to what he says, until you recognize 
The Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. What did he want him to recognize? Who was the Most High? Right? He, wanted to, he, wanted to, he wanted to make sure that King Nebuchadnezzar knew why, how he got there. But understand this. The, seven, the, seven, the number seven in the Bible always, always represents completion. Right? So if you, if you find yourself in the middle of a trial, let me just tell you something. You're wondering how long it's going to last. I encourage you to examine your heart because it's going to last until it's done. Some of you didn't get that. It's going to last until it's done, until the work has been completed. So if you go back to Matthew 23, how do we expedite that process, right? Because I'm all like, I don't like this, right? So we walk in humility, and it's completed. You guys following me? Verse 28, all this happened to the Nebster. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof at the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself as built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? I don't think he got the lesson. Right? See, God, and get, get this, okay, so 12 months pass by after he gets, he's, he's freaked out, he's having cold sweats, he, he's, he can't sleep, right? He knew it was real, okay? Otherwise, he wouldn't have called everybody in to say, hey, I need you to tell me what this dream was. So how many of you ever had, you ever know somebody that has like a real impact with God? Like they come down to the altar, you just see him, and you're just like, dude, that guy, that girl, like they got it, man. Like they, they had an impact with God. And then like two weeks later, they're out there doing the same things that they were always doing, you know? God always lets time pass. That's a principle with him. He always lets time pass to see. Because it's easy to serve God at the altar. Right? It's easy to do the right thing here. But you see, the flesh has to get put down. The flesh has to get put down. And, and that will never happen. That the, the, the easiest way to think about pride is, is that I refuse to put down my flesh. When God shows you something and you refuse to put it down or you refuse to take it to the cross... That's you walking in pride. And let me just tell you something. A lot of you, you you're saying, well, man, you know, I've heard so many times in my life, like, oh, like, like the devil's just beating me up. And that might be true, right? The person might legitimately be, like, dealing with some real devil things. Pride belongs to Satan. Maybe he's just coming for what belongs to him. Let me say that again, okay, because some of you didn't understand that. Pride belongs to Satan, if you have pride in your life and you're refusing to bring it to the foot of the cross and surrender it, that's Satan's stuff, man. He can come. You got to understand, go, go read. It's not too hard. You go just do a quick scripture search and you can find out that when you harbor those things in your heart, that's a direct access to the devil. That's his. And you're flatting out, you're handing that over to him. You know, I, I've used this example before. So if, so if you've heard it before, don't, don't throw rotten tomatoes at me or anything. But can you imagine waking up in the morning and seeing just some homeless dude sitting on your, like, squatting on your front yard, right? And you just you come out there, and you're like, dude, get out of here. Right? And he leaves, right? And the next day, he comes back. And you're like, dude, beat it. Get out. So then this goes on for, like, a month, right? And you're telling him to get out. And then finally, he just gets frustrated and says, and he says you told me I could come here. You gave me permission. You see, when they have permission to be there, they're going to keep coming back. So when you give the enemy permission by refusing to surrender your pride to him, 
what it, what does it says? You can go. You can even go read the Proverbs. It says Proverbs. Proverbs says, pride goes before destruction, right? And a haughty spirit before the fall, right? It is a absolute direct door to the devil. It's his. It's his. Go back. It was the very first thing that got him kicked out of the. It was it, he came in pride. He got got kicked out of heaven for it. He goes to uh, Eve, and what did he do? The very first thing he did, he said, "No, God, God didn't want you to not eat that apple." Because it was bad for you, it was because he knew that you'd be like him. So what's she doing? He's, he's trying to pull on her pride, right? Like, oh, I get to be like God, right? It's the, it's the original sin. It's the thing. It's his. It's his. So 12 periods pass by, and then happens. The prophecy that Daniel gave him, it happens. Drops on his, he drops on his face. Let's go with this. Okay, it says, immediately, the, verse 33, immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until the, his hair had grown like eagle, eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. So what happened? He exalted himself. God put him down. Right? So that, that is a fulfillment of Matthew 23. He said, exalt yourself. I'm going to put you down. I'm going to do it. You humble yourself. I'm going to exalt you. And it, both of those choices start with you. Right? Okay, so let's just see what happens. All right, verse 36. It says, at that time, okay, so this is at the, after the three and a half years of Passover, okay? It says, at that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in all my sovereignty and surpassing greatness. Everybody say surpassing greatness. Do you, do you know what repentance will get for you? Surpassing greatness. God will give back to you. See, see God is so for you. God is so for you. And, and it's important when we give messages like this is that we need to understand that we have to re- always read the Scriptures in the light of grace. Right? If we, if we don't read the Scriptures in the light of grace... You'll make the error. I did this for many, many, many years of thinking that God was mad at me. God is not mad at you, right? He just loves you too much to end up like Satan. Did you hear that? Are you with me there? Because he's, he, he, he came, he said, he said, how much more will he who gave his only son, okay, freely give us all things? And the book of Romans says, he says, God, that's, that's God's heart towards you. So if you're ever wondering, like, hey, is God, is God upset with me? The answer is no. So just get that out of your mind right now. He is not mad at you. He loves you. He gave his son for you. His son died for you, raised for you. And you know what? And he put you in him. So you're seated with him right now, holy, perfect, blameless. And, you know, none of us, we, 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 don't, we don't avail that. You want to know why? It's because we just don't know we have it. So surpassing greatness was added to him. Can I get the worship team to come up? I don't want to hold you guys for too much longer. Listen, one of the things that I don't, what I don't like to do is I don't like to say stuff like this and then just leave people hanging like, oh, man, what if I had pride in my life? How do I get rid of it? Right? All right, so that's what I just really believe briefly. I want to give you what I believe is God's heart. Well, it's, it's just backed up by Scripture. Is that, you know, the Bible says is that, Every part of me, okay, there is no, it says no flesh will glory in my presence. So there is nothing in me that God accepts. Nothing in me that is holy. 
Andrew and his flesh deserved hell. That's it. That's what I deserved. Now, okay, God sent his son for me so that, all right, he took my place, like he took the punishment. If I'm struggling, if God opens my eyes or in the, during this message, you're like, man, like I, I think I'm dealing with some pride. Okay, well, good news. Guess what? There's hope, okay? You don't have to get stuck there. You don't have to get stuck there. And you know what? You don't have to be perfect when you walk out the doors because it's the attitude aligned with my actions that are aligned. Both of those things line up with God's word. See, I'm, what, I'm, what I do, when I realize that I'm walking in pride, if it's, you know, if something that the, you know, the Spirit convicts me that I've, I've talked to my wife in an unkind manner or, I, or whatever the case is, is, is that you have to instantly go back to who you are in Christ now. Right? And all you need to do when you feel that way or you feel like the Spirit's convicting you, it, it doesn't need to be any more exuberant than, Lord Jesus, I confess this to you as sin, and on the basis of your word, I put it under your blood. I ask for your cleansing. And now, Lord, when that situation comes to me and I'm tempted to act in pride, everything inside of me may be writhing and just hating it. But on the basis of your word, I'm going to make the right decision. And let me just tell you something. When you make the right decision, you have done everything you can do, and God will do the rest. Does that make sense? God will do the rest when you do everything you can do. Don't expect him to make the decision for you. One of the scriptures we didn't have really time to go through this morning, several places in the New Testament, Peter and James are the two ones that I think of that say, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We have to do it ourselves. God's not going to start that process for you. If you exalt yourself, he'll do that for you. He will do that part for you. But the action on our part is that we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. One, the, the attitude of humility that we need, to, we need to ask God to articulate and renew our minds to is that God... Apart from you, I can do nothing. And there's nothing in my flesh that's acceptable to you. I can't resist sin on my own without you. I can't live a godly life without you. I can't love my wife without you. I can't love my children. I can't be, I can't be a student of the word. I can't be a good employee. I can't be a good student in school. I can do nothing without you. That's where God wants us. Because there is no limit to what God will do through a life that is truly walking in humility before him. Amen. So I just want to pray for you guys. If you guys just want to follow me here. If, if, if this brought, you know, some type of conviction to you and you want to pray, let me just lead you through a prayer here. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've been prideful. I know that I've acted towards you in a manner that is not worthy. I lay that at your feet now. Cleanse me in your blood. Father, I ask for a deeper conviction. Show me those things that aren't pleasing to you. I will respond in humility. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, the final thing that I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity. If you don't know God, and this is something that we do every time here at Refuge, it's a, it, it really is a value of what we believe. And so there's a lot of people that might come in that maybe just don't know God, or, or, or they might have a question on whether or not they really are saved or not. Well, I want to help you answer that question now. So if you don't know him, 
or if you're listening to my sermon, you're like, I, I don't even, like, I just feel apart. Well, you know what? We can fix that. So everybody close your eyes, bow your heads. If you want to know God right now, please just raise your hand, and I will pray for you. Yeah, I see those hands. Okay, amen. So let's, let's just go in this prayer. Say, say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that Christ came for me, died for me, and is now risen again. I know you paid the price to come into my life. Make me new. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, the Bible says that the angels in heaven are rejoicing and that you are now a part of the family. And that's the exciting part. That's why we're here. Amen. So we're going to worship. We're going to do one more song this morning. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there'll be people up here at the end of the service to pray with you. I just want to encourage you. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with God for 30 years or not. It's just prayer, man. Come up for prayer, you know what I mean? Like we, It doesn't mean, like, nobody's in the back going, oh, man, he came up for prayer. Something must be wrong with him. Jeez. I've thought about that before. Like, I've been, I've been the guy that's like, I'm not going up. I don't want anybody to think, like, no, you can't do that. It's just prayer. We need to do that for each other, right? That's why we're here, you know? So come up for prayer if you need anything going on in your life. So bless you guys. I love you. Thanks for being attentive to the word. Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.